Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome back to another episode of Around the Coin. Today, I interviewed Nick Carey, the co-founder and vice chair at Blockchain.com. Blockchain.com has raised over $490 million at a over $5 billion valuation. They've had over $1 trillion worth of transactions. They have over 80 million users signed up on the platform and over 30% of Bitcoin traffic has originated from blockchain.com. So Nick has been working on blockchain.com for close to a decade. And to put that in perspective, Bitcoin has been around for only 13 years. So they've accomplished a lot in their time. Uh, In 2015, Nick was named the European Digital Leader of the Year. He is the founding commissioner of the blockchain sustainable development project and he co-authored the future is centralized Uh, he speaks three languages and he is clearly very passionate about digital disruption we talked about the impact that crypto is having on a global scale at the time and place where we are now with the ukraine and russia tensions rising Uh, we talked about the impact that people coming online for the first time in different parts of the world are going to have on the global economy, both for developed nations and for up-and-coming nations. We talked about his nonprofit, Sky's the Limit, where he is helping to give grants out to people who are starting projects, raising money to help improve the world. And I deeply enjoyed our conversation. Uh, Nick is an incredibly smart guy and has a lot of knowledge and experience to share. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I do. I bring you Nicholas Carey. All right, Nick, well, I'm excited to dive in with you. Um, love what you worked on, blockchain.com, amazing business. Um, maybe we'll just kick it off with, I'd love to hear how you how you view the difference between what blockchain.com was in 2014, 15 time period and what the company is today. Were there any uh, major changes in the direction of the business or things that as you reflect on the journey have uh, changed significantly? Yeah, thanks, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your audience today. Um, I think company, so we're a 10 year old company now, uh, which, um, for those that, uh, have followed startups is sort of a real monumental, um, uh, achievement for the team. And, uh, just like people take some time to mature, companies do too. And they go through different stages where they learn a lot. Um, they expand their empires, then they consolidate and they can expand again. 
Um, those are some of the things uh, that I've seen and witnessed um, in my own experience at blockchain.com. We founded the firm in 2011 in a little town in Northern England, which is not uh, known as a center of uh, financial innovation. Um, we started the firm in the original York, which I always kind of like, um, because of course, in this century, New York sort of became the place that people went to, uh, to pursue the American dream and build their fortunes. And uh, we went back to the roots um, in some ways. The thing that co-founders of blockchain.com all had in common at the beginning was sort of a mutual interest in statistics. Um, we learned about cryptocurrency and we started looking at the Bitcoin blockchain to find out whether or not there was any actual economic activity happening. And when we started doing some research, we built charts, we built some tools to actually look at what was happening on chain, meaning the public record keeping system for Bitcoin. We started seeing that there was real economic activity and we kept building more and more ways of looking at that. It became pretty obvious to us, though, that if uh, Bitcoin at the time was going to become um, more successful, it had to get easier to use. And, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies um, were not an obvious thing, in my opinion, um, a decade ago. Uh, just a small community of online computer scientists and engineers were sort of concentrating on solving relatively difficult problems, which is how do you build um, a trustworthy transactional system? Um, if you were to build a new form of money, what type of principles should that uh, foundational money have? How much of it should there be? How does it come into circulation? And what can you do with that money? What features uh, does the money have? And I think it's kind of an interesting conversation because, you know, ultimately, we all, many of us spend our whole lives in pursuit of money so that we can raise a family, invest in our futures, um, have great experiences, um, you know, save for a rainy day. And then, you know, we end up chasing all these crazy bills, right? You know, these are euros in my pocket here. I might have some dollars. So what, you know, why does that money have value? and Where does that come from? And if you start to go down that rabbit hole, um, you end up in some really interesting places. Some of them are philosophical, some of them are technical. And then I think the question sort of comes is like, well, you know, humans have tried all different forms of money. Uh, you know, money is broadly understood to be a collection of systems that allows us as humans to exchange wealth. We used to use uh, gold coins, we use pearls, we've used seashells, some societies use feathers, and we find artifacts of people trading things, you know, in ancient uh, tombs and more. And so if we think about, you know, how money can evolve uh, to be more effective for people in the future, um, you know, cryptocurrencies, I think, are a really interesting thought experiment. And we're a decade into these thought experiments now, and we've seen a proliferation of innovation and ideas. And at Blockchain.com, it's been a real privilege to help um, inspire more innovation in that space and also build tools that millions of people around the world find useful to do basic things like send, receive, secure, trade, and exchange their money. And so uh, what you need to know about Blockchain.com is that we're a decade-old company. We specialize in building wallets. Um, wallets are tools that help people manage their wealth. Um, just like you've got one in your pocket or maybe a purse, um, you can think of it as a way of storing precious information whether that's an ID or uh, different forms of currency, and then you can transact with those things online. Um, we've had 80 million people sign up for wallets over the past decade in over 200 countries. Um, our firm itself has raised a lot of money to help pursue this growth, and now we're one of the uh, wealthiest uh, privately held companies in the world, which is uh, exciting for us. We still see a lot of work um, down the pipeline, though. Uh, even though we've achieved a good deal and the whole market's grown a lot, um, you know, by some estimates, there may be 150 million people in the world that own some cryptocurrency today. Uh, you know, our goal is to get to a billion people by 2030. And so we're in the 
I would say, uh, momentum and capacity building um, effort at the firm to add muscle to basically 10x from where we are today. Gotcha. Thanks for the background. I like that. I like the uh, description of money as well and the alternative methods that we've used to keep track of energy effectively over time. Uh, How has the product itself, so early on, there were far fewer companies in the space than there are today. Um, How do you think about, as a founder, the journey with regard to the competitive landscape? Not, not, not to highlight other companies, but there's there are a few major parts of the crypto ecosystem that companies have solved, like the onboarding from existing fiat banks into crypto, <clears throat> the storing of wealth, the exchanges themselves, uh, and then all the other sort of DeFi and NFT uh, aspects that that keep flowering on as as crypto grows. How, how do you think about like where and initially, you need a wallet to hold money, right? That's 2011, 2012, 2013. You're growing. The space is, is heating up as more people realize what's happening um, with ups and downs. But, but how, do you, how did you think about back then and even today how you enter the market? You know, you have a lot of assets. You have a lot of momentum. Um, but you have to make difficult decisions on where to deploy engineering resources and marketing money um, I'm curious what your philosophy is on product building and company building. Yeah, um, this is a great question, Mike. So uh, the very first thing we ever built was um, basically something called a block explorer. This was a search engine for looking at the time um, at the original blockchain, which was the Bitcoin network. And so we basically built an interface that has now been used by all other block explorers and basically created the taxonomy for looking at an online transactional history. So the ledger that keeps track of all of the uh, transactions that have ever happened online, we built the first way of studying that. It's called blockchain.info. And that sort of created uh, the argument on our behalf that, hey, there actually is stuff going on here. Um, so the next thing we wanted to do was make it easier for people to interact with the Bitcoin network. And for us, uh, it became obvious that we needed to build a wallet. We took a very early design decision to build a non-custodial wallet. Now, this is really important to understand. Um, most financial service providers are custodians. Your bank is a custodian. Um, your credit card processor is a custodian. Your savings or investment account is a custodian, meaning you, you send them money, they hold that money, and then they earn income off that money by trading it, by lending it, by providing you services. And then they either charge you fees um, or you get a split of the interest that they're earning by all their other business activities. So it's important to get to first principles about why cryptocurrencies came to exist in the first place. Um, it was really designed as sort of a uh, reaction to the 2008 financial crisis. Um, and so the person that created the Bitcoin protocol wanted to create a peer-to-peer version of online electronic cash, digital money for the internet. Um, and they didn't want uh, people that would use this network to have to be concerned about counterparties, custodians, or intermediaries. I should be able to hand you a digital version of a dollar over the internet. And you should be able to go use that dollar as soon as that transaction settles and clears. So the Bitcoin protocol is both an economic um, fabric, and it's also a settlement system. So it's a type of currency, and it's a transactional network. And transactional networks always have three things on them. They have currency, um, they have settlement, and that settlement comes with a high degree of certainty. 
That way I can't send you some money, Mike, and then claw it back and send it to somebody else. And so the, the Bitcoin protocol was basically uh, extremely innovative in um, setting up uh, this experiment. And um, we got to work building a non-custodial wallet so that our users would be firmly in control of their own funding. Our original motto was that you should be your own bank. So basically, your wallet is a place where you store digital forms of wealth, and you alone are responsible for that. And in that way, my company does not have access to what you hold in your wallet. We are not a counterparty. We don't centralize risk. Um, and because of that, because it was true to the early principles of the Bitcoin blockchain, aka something that um, encouraged decentralization and individual responsibility for ownership over their money, um, we were very popular. Um, and we found product market fit and a very important vintage of adopters. Um, the early Bitcoin and cryptocurrency adopters um, uh, are now uh, extraordinarily wealthy. And so they've been with us through this whole journey. Um, and ultimately, how we've approached um, improving the platform and basically what I would broadly describe now as a blockchain.com experience is to match people's um, needs for a product with new features um, as they come up and as uh, the market evolves. And so um, I would say our unfair advantage was certainly being very early to the space with a product that people would recommend to their friends and family. Um, I think a product for us uh, that was so important was being non-custodial from the very beginning. Um, there are contemporaries of ours, competitors, um, that behave a lot basically like a traditional bank. They are building tools that are centralized on top of a system whose whole purpose was decentralization. So to me, that's sort of antithetical to the whole design principle of the uh, blockchain itself and of um, a variety of the new uh, DeFi protocols. But there's still a good business model um, for those companies. And it's not to say that consumers don't sometimes prefer uh, to have a custodian or an account relationship with a, a service provider. Um, my view is that, honestly, you should have a spectrum of uh, services, and sometimes you want to be non-custodial, and sometimes you do want to have a custodial offering um, because there are trade-offs. The custodial offering can be significantly faster in executing things like trades. So um, from the blockchain.com perspective, we start off with the Block Explorer, we build the wallet, and then we start going multi-asset. Um, Bitcoin was the first digital currency. There are now thousands of them. Um, we have a very elaborate criteria uh, for adding new digital assets to the blockchain.com experience. Um, there's an ongoing fresh debate about uh, that kind of thing in the, our uh, world where some people say you just add everything. Um, we're a little more judicious about that because we really want to make sure that the assets people have access to uh, within the blockchain.com experience are high quality meaning there's real communities building and developing these products and assets, that there's liquidity in the market, there's multiple venues where they can trade these things. Um, they've got thoughtful roadmaps. They've been through a healthy um, legal and regulatory diligence. So uh, the, we, we have a collective a collection of, of assets available within blockchain.com uh, where people can buy and sell um, and on-ramp with us as well. And basically, we try and match uh, the user journey and what I would describe into the future of finance by uh, making it possible for anyone in the world to get started with a non-custodial wallet. And then they can kind of ratchet up, um, you know, the, uh, the features that they have access to, um, depending on their jurisdiction and also what they want to do. Um, so we, we offer a breadth of offers, uh, offerings of blockchain.com. And we, the best way to really think about it is like, and I'll summarize it quickly. Um, in many ways, we're just a digital version of a, f like a future of financial, uh, house basically we have a retail offering 
which means that if you're crypto curious and you want to get into the space, highly encourage you to download a free blockchain.com wallet from the app store. You can sign up, you can buy your first crypto in 90 seconds. You can experience trading. You can go into our exchange, which is a professional trading venue, and that's a little more serious. And then we have an entire institutional offering, um, which is far more sophisticated where we work uh, with high net worth individuals, family offices. We run bespoke financial services. We work with um, existing financial institutions uh, to package up um, digital assets in a regulated way for them to have access to those as well. So the 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 whole experience is quite a bit now um but i guess i guess you say like you kind of grow your uh, tree trunk as tall as your root system yeah. can support so it, it takes time what, what are the um how would you how would you estimate you may not know exactly but wh- how would you estimate the breakdown in uh custodial management techniques and i'm picturing people have a thumb drive that they're putting in a safe they're uh, getting a tattoo on their arm of their key. You know, like, what what are the uh, what are the most common ways that you've seen people uh, intelligently manage personal keys? Because it takes on a lot of responsibility. Like you say, hey, you want to be a bank? I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want to be a bank. That sounds like, it, yeah, on some level, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, a, it's a great question, Mike. So um, basically, it's best to think of it like a spectrum. Um, there's a spectrum yeah. of storage solutions for maintaining access to what are called your private keys. Your private keys are basically like what unlock your vault or your wallet to be able to interact with um, a public ledger like the Bitcoin network or the Ethereum protocol. Now, you can sign up for an account and then that account will hold your private keys for you. There's some risk in doing that though because that means you have to trust that counterparty to uh, maintain very high degrees of security over that collection of keys. If that entity gets compromised, if there's a bad actor, if there's um, someone who's malicious internally or a disgruntled employee, uh, you know, they can run away with the entire lot. And so we've seen that dozens and dozens of times um, over the past decade. Famously, the Mt. Gox um, uh, exchange was hacked in early 2014 and lost a huge amount of money. There are many of these um, that have occurred over the years. So in short, um, I think everyone that's in the crypto should at least learn how to self-custody so that um, in the event that uh, they need to be able to manage their own wealth personally, they know how to do it. But there are also plenty of service providers that offer a blended security model. So if you think sort of mentally mapping these things, um, a unhosted wallet would look a little bit like a vault you would have in your house. A hosted wallet um, might look a little bit like your relationship with PayPal. Uh, A custodial account for a brokerage would look a little bit like E-Trade. And then you have more sophisticated stuff where you can actually have all kinds of signing uh, tools um, as second factor services. So if I want to move money from one venue, I have to have not only my password, but even a USB key or a one-time use um, revolving code. And then there's even more hardcore stuff where you can actually uh, send your money offline and store it in what's called cold storage. Um, And so... The only people that should really be doing that are ones that are extraordinarily, um, I would say, good at managing um, access to uh, the documents they need to do so. Um, and also, uh, frankly, probably have enough wealth to warrant um, removing it uh, from any type of digital system where there could be intrusion. And so, uh, in short, there are a lot of ways to be safe. Um, most importantly is to work with uh, service providers, companies, or vendors that have been in the space for a long time with long uh, track records of, of safety. What's your best guess, if you had to put a number on it, the percentage of, say, just Bitcoin in cold storage today? 
Oh, I, I, I don't know if I could answer that. Um, you know, you can see how much is on venue um, at different uh, trading exchanges. Um, a lot of coins don't move very frequently, and it's it's almost impossible to know whether they're in hot or cold storage. Um, you can see concentrations at large trading venues, so it's pretty it's pretty clear how much is held um, within you know Coinbase and Binance and Kraken or Blockchain.com's exchange accounts. Those numbers are public, um, but how much is held across a variety of distributed addresses? Um, that's a little more difficult to to cl- to clump together. There are some blockchain analysis firms um, that have done some studies of this. You know, uh, there's definitely a concentration of wealth in early adopters. Um, a lot of coins have also been lost, though. Um, people yeah. lose their hard drive. They lose their, you know, the little USB stick that holds their wealth. And so um, when we talk about the importance of understanding how to use these systems and the responsibility that comes with uh, self-custodying, um, it is important you, you follow the onboarding and you read the instructions carefully. Um, and in the same way that if you lose the key, to your home vault, it'll be very hard to get into that thing. Um, and so it's important to keep track of your key. Yeah, rest in peace for all those uh, all those Bitcoins out there that <clears throat> never going to see the day, light of many, day again. Many painful lessons. <laughs> oh, God, myself included. Um, have you ever had one of those experiences where you send it to the wrong address or lose like a significant amount and some dumb mistake later? It says they've never says they haven't had a little hiccup um that's been in crypto for a decade i i don't think is being deeply sincere about that um you know uh, i have had multiple um uh, accounts compromised um especially in the early days the vendors um were uh you know were young and unreliable and, and not battle tested um and so you know while we were you know figuring out what was going on and mapping the market um you inevitably you know there's some uh, collateral damage that happens <laughs> in any early um in any early market if you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it like coinbase that is a mistake we've heard the news lately exchanges closed accounts frozen we're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control so what can you do about it well you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself and that's why today's show is sponsored by zen go these guys realize that Storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's $20 back for your first purchase of $200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah. And would you agree that it makes sense to say that we're at a point now, 10 plus years after Bitcoin has been around and early companies have been around where there's enough uh, technical concern, technical skill, regulatory concern to where you put your money in, you know, you pick at one of the top 20 uh, wallets out there. And realistically, you're looking at like a, you know, 99% chance that it'll be fine. I, I mean, even a bank could lose your money, right? Like banks do and have, but do, do you, do you feel like we're, as time goes on, we're becoming more, these organizations are becoming more secure or is there some black swan event that we could potentially be overlooking? Uh, well, <laughs> I, you know, there's always the unknown unknown. Um, and so, you yeah. know, you can spend a lot of time being worried about that. Um, you know, I can't speak on uh, behalf of the security practices of the top 20, whatever. Um, you know, anybody that's new to this um, is, uh, I would say, um, probably hasn't experienced uh, enough of a significant battle testing of their product to warrant putting large amounts of your trust in. Um, when I talk about uh, the enduring um, trust that uh, service providers um, that have been operating the space for a long time, you know, they take care of their customers, they get recommended by other users, um, they've been doing this for a long time, they have learned a lot um, in order to achieve those results. So in short, um, I, uh, it, it's just important for people to, to do their research. Yeah, I think that's a safe answer. Um, <laughs> what products at blockchain.com have not worked? Have there been ideas where you guys were sitting around the table thinking like, hey, we got to make a blockchain.com ICO token or spin up some NFT or, or where you got past R&D, you're building something or maybe even launched it and then realized, hey, this was not a good idea and then ended up scrapping it? Anything come to mind? Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So in the early days um, of blockchain.com, we, there was this sort of constant discussion in the crypto space, which was like, there's a, there's a chicken and egg problem. There's not enough places to go spend your crypto in the real world. So, um, you know, we need more merchants to adopt um, places, you know, basically build point of sale systems um, for, you know, uh, bars and restaurants and coffee shops and, um, and, you know, real places in the world to go transact in. And, uh, so we, we had built, um, a tool that allowed basically, uh, merchants to catch Bitcoin. And it was, a just a QR code would appear on an iPad or on a, an Android. And, um, you know, you could basically, uh, immediately set up a wallet to, to accept payments in crypto. Um, 
the reality was that in you know the way merchant processor sales work is you literally have like a giant sales force that runs around and is like hey you should you know install this new uh you know uh cash register or new till or new system to um to accept payments and uh the reality was that um no one you know there weren't a lot of people that were uh super receptive um in the early days to have a cash register, a credit card processing machine, and an iPhone and having to train their staff to figure out how to use these different systems and then also want to accept crypto. And so in short, um, I don't think the market was ready for that um, back in 2014, even though we really wanted it to be a reality um, and we wanted to be able to spend our crypto. And so we, we were able to form like a small collection of small uh, retailers, at least around the office, uh, where... Um, you know, we could spend some of our crypto. And amazingly, um, you know, just speaking uh, for a very specific example, um, the coffee shop that was below our office, um, we taught that guy how to use crypto. All of our teammates would go down and buy coffee and, you know, uh, pay in Bitcoin. Um, and he earned so much Bitcoin and held on to it because he understood the value of um, owning this alternative asset class. He was able to open a second coffee shop four or five years later. Um, because I thought you were going to say, I thought, because, you, I thought you were going to say he was going to be able to buy Starbucks. If he held, <laughs> held that not, not quite, but um, it's still like, to, but that to me is like, that's an amazing story. Like someone who earned um, so much uh, extra on the side and held on to it because they understood why um, Bitcoin was uh, an inflation hedge and everything else in digital gold um, and was able to in, take that money and convert it into more wealth um, you know, creating opportunities for them for themselves and hiring oh. more people. And so, you know, if more people had done that in early days, like there'd be more stories like that. But you know, you know, right now we're in an amazing time. Like the the the, the conversation from 2014 to now is like completely different. I mean, you've got every major point of sale system and merchant processor in the world is going to implement crypto in the next 48 months. Yeah, that's a big statement. Funny, funny aside on this, we started this podcast in 2013. And in 2014, we started talking a lot about Bitcoin. And I had no idea what I was talking about. But I had a co host who was really smart, uh, Brian Rommel, and he was, uh, he was mining and he had all these rigs and he would always be like, Oh, yeah, you know, how do you not know about Bitcoin already? And so we'd spend hours and hours and hours talking about it. And then we had a donation button on the site where on our Quora page and Twitter page, it was like, donate to the show. It'd be fantastic if you do. So we got a couple of donations here and there. And somebody donated uh, $90 and it went into our Coinbase account. And I didn't check it for nine years. I checked it in 2021. And it was like not, it was like nine, pretty much 9,000 close to $10,000, uh, which was, I was like, wow, that's, that's always a good feeling. You know, that's the opposite of sending your money to the wrong place and losing it is you end up, you, you end up, I'm yeah. sure this has happened, right? You, you're in it long enough. You have some money in some, some wallet somewhere that you forget about. And then you check it eight years later, but, um, doesn't yeah, happen so often your, enough, uh, but yeah, it's the, uh, now I know finding, you know, <laughs> coins in the couch or something. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, those are, those yeah, are exactly. Stories. Um, I, you know, there are so many, and the other thing is like, I, I made a donation, um, to my alma mater, my university, it was the first person and they were the first university to accept a cryptocurrency donation in North America. And at the time it was just like, it was an amazing, uh, learning experience because I had to convince them that one, it was okay to do so that it wouldn't be technically difficult for them. And even if they, uh, decided they didn't want to keep the crypto, they could sell it and trade it out and hold dollars. Um, I encouraged them not to do that. 
but that's how they wanted to treat it. So um, I made the payment, BitPay tr- uh, caught the payment, they sold the crypto and they sent them the, uh, the dollars. Now, if the university had decided to keep that trade um, in Bitcoin, um, they would have had a significantly larger um, amount of, um, but what would be worth a lot more today, basically. But that's okay. Um, you know, the, the journey for people yeah. to learn about these things um, comes in a variety of formats. And to me, uh, I made that donation um, from a small apartment in Berlin, um, at like two o'clock in the morning, and it settled and cleared instantly in Seattle, um, just a few minutes later. And so to me, like taking people on the journey of how money can basically teleport around the world, um, as easily as we can send precious information over the internet, uh, the more people you basically orange pill, which is a euphemism for, uh, you know, basically, uh, teaching them how to use, um, digital forms of money, uh, once they experience it, um, it starts to click a little bit more. It's like the first time you ride an Uber, you're like, Oh, wait, I don't have to wait on the side of the road and then pray that a taxi drives by or something like that. Like, Oh, this is a better offering in the same way that if you've ever been annoyed that your bank account charges fees or it takes five days to make a payment or, you know, uh, 48 hours to get a response to something like, you know, if you experience a far better service, um, that does things you need, uh, you know, you get inspired and you're like, okay, I get it now. Yeah. Where does that come from? That orange pill? Is that like a combination of the red and blue pill? Yeah. It's like, you know, crypto and and internet money has like a lot of nerds in it, obviously. And, um, the, I think the influence of the matrix can't be understated and like generally the tech space. Um, but the idea was that, you know, you take, uh, the orange color was the, uh, the branding for Bitcoin, um, was an orange logo. And, uh, so if you take, you, you take an orange pill and you go down the rabbit hole and you realize that, oh man, well, if money, you know, can actually be separated from, uh, the federal reserve banking system and there's a new way of doing it, um, you know, what are the implications of all that? And it just sort of opens up this like whole, uh, you know, interesting thought experiment about what the future of money can look like. And it's never, it's, it's more relevant today than at any point in, um, you know, the economic history of the United States and the world because, there are three concurrent macro factors that we really should talk a little bit about, Mike, um, that are happening. And if any one of them was occurring, I would be pretty uh, bullish about the um, the opportunity for crypto, but they're happening simultaneously. So it's worth kind of highlighting these things. Number one, a billion people in the world today are living under macroeconomic conditions where there's significant inflation and there has been um, a huge amount of money created partially in response to um, the pandemic and the closures of the economies, uh, but it, it's unprecedented what's happening. Um, we are experiencing record levels of wealth destruction via inflation, meaning prices are rapidly increasing everything from oil to commodities to education to healthcare um, to things that we need to use every single day in our lives. Wages are commensurately not keeping up with that. And holding money in your savings account uh, today at a traditional financial services provider, you are losing purchasing power on a day-to-day basis. Um, and people are waking up to this and it's a really big deal. Um, the second is since 2017, there was a sort of increase uh, quickly in the price of crypto and then a major collapse um, for a year and a half. There was a big correction. Um, everyone thought that uh, traditional um, asset allocators, big pension funds, um, large Wall Street firms would start to, um, you know, dabble their feet 
in crypto. That was uh, turned out not to be true in 2017 and 2018, 2019. Last year, it's definitely true. Um, and you see the likes of uh, Lewis Bacon, um, uh, more strategic capital, uh, Bailey Gifford, uh, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, BlackRock. Um, everybody is building a crypto strategy heading into 2022. Um, and so the largest allocators of uh, wealth in the world have not yet started to take bites out of this pie, and they are all gearing up to do so. And so that's a big, huge change. And they are doing so for two reasons. One, they understand that um, digital assets are themselves an asset class that they can diversify into, and they should. Um, and also, they're operating in that same backdrop of, uh, of inflationary concerns and figuring out where they can earn yield on their money. They have pension obligations to pay out people are expecting to be able to, to gain some uh, predictable wealth, and they have nowhere to turn to. The bond market's hosed, fixed income's uh, n- not going to happen for them. And so um, crypto is becoming more attractive for that reason. The third very powerful force that shouldn't be discounted is that the cultural zeitgeist, the artists, the musicians, the writers, um, the celebrities uh, that um, you know uh, poke fun of the institutions in the world, um, and really, uh, you know, push our, our understanding of art forward to create all the entertainment we consume. All of them want to have more agency and control over their content and their creativity. And they have discovered cryptocurrency in the past year. Um, and so whether it's NFTs, um, non-fungible tokens or new streaming platforms that are forming on decentralized networks, uh, there is a huge amount of, um, momentum, uh, from that space. And so, uh, you know, I'm excited about that because they are trendsetters, um, and they are going to carry the culture of, um, you know, in, in, the, in the flag for this movement forward. And so, you know, it's a crazy collection of things happening. You know, one that's impacting everybody to the largest allocators and investment houses in the world understand the argument now and the hedge and will broadly allocate, um, you know, in a diversified way anyway. And then, um, you know, the, the trendsetters that we, you know, that inspire the next generations, um, you know, the next, the next entrepreneurs, um, are all, uh, are all in on this. And so those three factors combined are like the rocket boosters, in my opinion, that are all placed on this entire market simultaneously. And so while there will certainly be, you know, uh, volatility in the market going forward, um, that's been a, a feature, uh, uh, of our market in the last decade. Um, that'll continue. But I'm very excited about these three trends um, and the, how they'll interact with each other. Have you heard the the attitudes of the investment managers on behalf of the institutional funds, the you know, really large bank accounts that are coming into the space? Do they think about this as we want to, you know, I can't imagine them spraying and praying where they invest in, you know, 150 different projects. But I also can't imagine that they're going to be incredibly consolidated around Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, top five or so. Do you hear any sort of um, <laughs> consistent patterns to their investment thesis? Or yeah, how do they even, because I'm sure they come into this blind, right? They don't know. And I'm sure they're just listening to podcasts, trying to, you know, pick up where everyone is. They're effectively 10 years late to the party. I, I, although I say that with the caveat that I'm sure there's incredibly savvy people who are at these funds or have been hired to these funds. Um, but yeah, what's your take? Yeah, there's a it's a great question, Mike. Um, so a couple things are happening. One is um, very uh, very smart people that have worked in traditional financial services have crossed over and are working at crypto companies. 
which means they bring institutional vocabulary with them that allows them to learn and then translate that vocabulary back to these institutions. And so they can speak a familiar language, they can understand um, the, I would call it like the economic argument um, or the philosophical argument for why allocating into a new asset class makes sense. Um, and so the different people need to hear a different story. Um, and what's interesting about crypto is um, some folks are in it for, uh, you know, a digital gold argument or a hedge against inflation, or they want to capture some of a Web3 uh, opportunity, or maybe um, they see the value of the metaverse and they want to buy into some of the transactional, uh, you know, uh, bandwidth of that future world. Um, there are a lot of different things that convince um, traditional uh, asset allocators that this is a good thing. But really, the street, aka New York, um, is broadly just starting to see this as another widget they can trade. Um, and they go down the journey by starting with Bitcoin, because that's sort of the, the most important thing to wrap your head around, which is, this is a scarce digital asset. It's the oldest one. This is how it works. There's 21 million units. The units come into circulation at a fixed and predictable schedule. It's extraordinarily liquid. You can get out of the position pretty much any time. And there's sophisticated markets to hedge your risk in there. And that is like enough. People go, okay, I get that. Then you talk about Ethereum and you describe, you know, a worldwide computer that can basically execute uh, contracts and you can build all kinds of other uh, feature sets on. Um, that gets pretty exciting if people uh, think about that. Um, you know, the further you go on uh, down, I would say the rabbit hole, you end up, you know, talking about uh, decentralized finance and owning a bit of what that could look like. And then ultimately, you can also invest um, in companies. And so, you know, just today, uh, Bain Capital announced a large strategic crypto fund. Sequoia has a giant crypto fund. Lightspeed has a giant crypto fund. Paradigm has a giant crypto fund. That, and these are all investing sometimes in companies that are building the picks and axes. Sometimes they're investing in the protocols um, that are building the uh, instruction sets for how to create agreements over the internet. So there are a lot of ways to get um, exposure to crypto and it depends. Um, but, you know, I think most people have to kind of just like when you go into school, you've got like course 101, course 102 and course 300. You know, um, you have to scaffold the argument, basically. Um, in my view, uh, it still takes like a bit of a learning journey. But these guys are coming up that learning curve very quickly. And if you look at just the performance of the market over the previous decade, um, everything that was like molecular isn't doing so well, like infrastructure projects, buying trains, building toll roads, you know, some of it's doing okay you know, tech equities, with the exception of the past six weeks, which have been brutal, have done extraordinarily well. NASDAQ has vastly outpaced the S&P 500. That speeding up seems to be um, an obvious trend. And by 2030, it looks to me and a lot of other analysts that, um, you know, the internet will be the largest contributor uh, to GDP globally, its own economy. And so if the internet um, is this great coordinator of human time and talent, it needs a way to coordinate capital very efficiently. And crypto is specifically uniquely designed to be a transactional and financial network for the internet. And so if you see these trends, it's just sort of like, okay, um, you know, of course I want to own a, you know, a portfolio of different things to, to manage risk in the market. But, um, I also want to own some stuff that is innovative and, and building onto future trends. And, um, so in that way, you know, the uh, I would say the large asset allocators and institutions definitely get what's happening. 
and they're designing their strategies to, you know, hold a little Bitcoin, you know, invest in some Ethereum projects or protocol uh, or in Ether itself, a DeFi basket, and then also uh, play strategic capital and venture bets um, into companies that are helping build this infrastructure and support these communities. Yeah, well said. Well said. I, I think we are at a, my view is that we're at a point in time where the internet itself is the renaissance, the world internet, the ability, like I think of the forcing functions being the certainly crypto where you can facilitate trades across the world instantaneously for very low costs with minimal government permissions. You have the COVID effect where everyone has been effectively forced to work from home. So they're all you know, as many people as possible are working now from computers, many jobs that weren't, you know, computer friendly at all. My wife is a surgeon and she does all of her clinics uh, remotely. So this would be, you know, there was yeah. no surgeons in this country doing remote uh, uh, first interventions. Now they're all doing it. And th- there's a transition period, but it still opens the door. I mean, you pick any profession and that's true and pick it across the world. And then I, I think a third Third trend is this uh, globalization. So the ability for companies to work remotely across the world creates a an eye-opening experience that companies who weren't remote previously for fear of... I, I think that the top fears previously were their culture would dissolve. It was difficult to control people if they're not in the office. Uh, a second was that there's it's impossible to work remotely, but you need to be in the same office room to have high enough throughput on information transfer and brainstorming and that kind of thing. I think there's some truth to that, but 80% of it you can accomplish uh, remotely. And it seems like the third is that there's a huge economic driver from people who are in parts of the world that have orders of magnitude, better opportunities online, even at entry level online positions, you know, joining Fiverr or Upwork or learning something on Khan Academy or Coursera to be a software developer or get an entry level job, compare that to what they would be doing alternatively in whatever country they're in. And we're blind to that in the United States in, in many ways, because we have a very high minimum wage relative to other countries. Like our minimum wage is you know, five times average GDP per capita in some other countries. So there is a tremendous economic incentive for companies in the U.S. to hire people across the world. And as they do, people accumulate wealth, they make their own investments, they start their own companies, and then, bam, we have like an entire world of creators. And that is an incredibly exciting thing for everybody, in my view. Yeah, I I feel similarly. It's, um, you know, we want to build an economy that, um, in my view, uh, you know, grows the pie for everybody. And um, one of the most important things uh, that we need to do in order for that to be possible is create a financial fabric for the internet that treats everybody regardless of the circumstances of their birth equally. And so one of the neat things about crypto is while we still have a lot of work to do to get to this, um, to this future, um, but it, it is, it really is a shot on goal to bring billions of people into the economic influence of the internet, um, where they all start off on the same equal playing field from uh, access to um, to tooling. And so what I mean by that is with a crypto wallet, you have exactly the same opportunity to send, receive, secure, trade, and exchange, whatever you store in there, as someone in uh, Singapore or Somalia or Yugoslavia or wherever. And I think that's a really big deal. And I, I completely agree with your perspective on 
um, you know, people around the world now having access to uh, work uh, in a way that was not foreseeable just two years ago. And it's going to, um, you know, that it's going to increase the standard of living for people all over the world. It's, it's a big deal. Like, um, and it's generally positive. There'll be other implications of it. I think for sure I, for young adults um, that are growing up in, um, you know, in uh, advanced countries, they're going to be competing on a far more global basis than they ever have before. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Yeah. And so you need to be able to use your unique creativity and insight to, to work hard, to, to offer something valuable in the world. Like, I, I think there's no reason why there, I sense this and I, it's not just you, but other people have alluded to this, that there's this, um, uh, intuitive idea that there's a, like a leveling off, like as, as one group of people in the world who have had less traditionally start to get more than the people with more come down. But I don't believe that to be true. I, 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 I believe that's what happens if you don't change the, the style in which you offer value to the rest of the world. But I mean, there's tremendous value in the institutions and the countries that have more wealth, right? They've accumulated more knowledge just due to the pure fact of the organizational structures that institutions like colleges, uh, organizations like companies, like there, there's also this fact about the universe, which is nonlinear distribution of resources, like whether it's stars in the galaxy or money, it tends to consolidate and over time be, become pressured in the long tail is less. So I, I think that's, it's kind of like, we'll see. I, I don't know how exactly that plays out. It doesn't seem obvious to me. So, uh, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but like, basically, there's two things that I care about in the world. One is reinventing people's relationship with their money. And I think crypto is by far the most interesting uh, way for us to create and shape outcomes that are more fair and at least treat everyone from an equal starting point. You know, they're going to end up in different places based on how fast they run and how hard they work. Um, but that's okay. We accept that there are differences based on merit. Um, and I think that's a, a reasonable and just um, framework. But we also need to inspire more wealth creators via entrepreneurship. And this is the second thing I care a lot about in the world. Um, and we haven't really gone over this, Mike, but I started an organization called skiesthelimit.org. This is a digital mentoring platform that helps first-time entrepreneurs, especially from underrepresented or disadvantaged backgrounds, get access to mentors and advisors to help them think about how they can create their own business. And we've had 45,000 people sign up for this, especially in the last two years because of the pandemic, because job creation um, was basically uh, non-existent and um, small businesses were getting killed left and right because of the lockdowns. Um, finding alternative ways to earn income has uh, been a huge priority for young, uh, young Americans. This isn't just an American thing, though, by the way. Um, this is a global phenomenon. And so, um, you know, we're very interested in the long run to uh, make sure that first-time entrepreneurs can get good mentorship and advice and coaching, um, learn how to build businesses, transfer social capital from those that have it to those that need it, and ultimately um, support those entrepreneurs with small funding um, as well. And so that comes in the form of grants. We don't take any equity in these things. Um, and uh, yeah, so anyone that's out there thinking about, you know, if you don't know where to get going or where to start, um, you know, that's a great place to go is you can visit skyslimit.org um, and get some free support. And in the long term, you know, I, I want to, we need to inspire more um, entrepreneurs to take risks. And we also need those entrepreneurs to look more like the composition of our society. So we need more black, brown, female entrepreneurs gaining experience, creating wealth in their communities, 
passing down the skills for how to do so. Wealth begets more wealth, grows the pie for everybody. Um, and it has long-term beneficial impacts, raising standards of living and, and much more. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's an absolute, um, falsehood that big companies create most of the jobs in the world. It's not, it's small companies that create the largest amount of jobs, new jobs. And so we need to, you know, there's an interesting moment, um, an opportunity right now, both, you know, you know across the United States and around the world, um, to, uh, to invest more in our small business community, um, and inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs to take up the mantle and build stuff that people find useful. And if they do that, it's a win-win. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to me that if you have a computer and you have access to the internet, you're in the game, right? So like the the barrier to play is so much lower, which, you know, I have to believe. Yeah, just a smartphone now, right? Like, yeah, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you think there's anything that, that, because to me, I think about it like, okay, the, the thing that should be driving that, that often I think doesn't get shared enough uh, about diversity and inclusion and these topics is that you fundamentally, from a selfish perspective, should want people, regardless of what they look like, but if they just have, you want people, you want everyone to be as productive as possible for your own selfish benefit. Like there's just more nice things in the world if everyone can contribute and operate at their maximum creativity and productivity. And I, I think that, that that idea doesn't get shared enough uh, almost like we go back to this idea before, like, it, well, if you have wealth, if you have money, then that means you're taking it from me, this zero sum mentality, where it's like, no, no, on the internet, yeah. like if I build an amazing app, that doesn't mean another app has to die. Like <laughs> there's not a finite room in the app store. That's that's the, which which has been true for physical, the physical world. Like there's only so many gazelles, there's only so much physical right. space. Um, but but I, I just, that's how I feel about it. I'm like, I, I selfish, I'm, I mean, I just selfishly want everyone to be creative and productive so that we, we just live in a better place. Look, there's a lot of like, there's so many big challenges in the world today, which are, can be met with commensurately ingenious opportunities to solve them, whether that's the climate crisis or income inequality or health uh, tech that can improve, you know, people's lives, mobility, all this stuff. Like there's dozens of new Einsteins out there. That um, you know, because of the circumstances of their birth, they're not able to fulfill their full potential. And um, you know, one of the things, um, in my opinion, we have to do is build a financial system that treats everybody more fairly. And to me, crypto is not perfect, but because um, it does require technical, some technical knowledge, and you need access to the internet. So there are some barriers to entry there. 
those barriers to entry are radically being de- decreased from a cost to entry perspective. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited about that long term. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll have other challenges. Um, you know, and the internet is going to constantly, uh, <laughs> uh, I would say challenge policymakers and more. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, we can and should do better. Um, and we should shape a society that, you know, we want to pass down to our kids that, you know, is, um, is better than the one that we inherited. And that's just, uh, that seems like a, a, a good thing for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, when it comes to blockchain.com, the organization has raised 500 million, close to 500 million range. Uh, certainly a yes. lot, a lot of cash. Uh, is there a, is there a focus on, uh, is there a double down of sorts in, internally where it's like, Hey, we want to spend this money on distribution across the world, or is it more on thinking about building out deep technology layers? Like how do you view the, the, the game that you want to win? Like, is it, just mass adoption across the world for your basic products you have? And if so, if that's your mentality, uh, I'm curious on the strat, on like what's happening now when I look at the LA stadium, crypto.com, blockchain.com has their name on a bunch of jerseys out there. Like, is that, is that what large crypto companies are thinking about is like mass <laughs> I branding? <laughs> that's a good question. So, um, you know, I, a blockchain comes speaking on the branding thing. Um, it's been, really encouraging to see, I would say, our contemporaries go out and spend enormous sums of money, um, you know, doing brands part, brand and sports partnerships. I think you're going to see more of that. Um, and I think that's good. It's like a rising tide raises all ships in terms of increasing awareness. You know, there's a famous book called Crossing the Chasm, which discusses how large communities become aware of new products or features or, or um, movements. And you basically have these like super early adopters that are, you know, kind of influential evangelists. And eventually they convince two more people to do something. And those two people convince four, four to eight, and you kind of get this buildup. At some point, you have to cross this gap between, you know, evangel- uh, evangelical early adopters of something to a mainstream audience. And to me, we're definitely like well over that leap and are headed into, um, you know, mass adoption. It's, uh, which is, which has kind of been the goal all along. Um, you know, from a, like from a company's trajectory perspective, um, you know, my partners and I, we never had an interest in a getting quick and rich scheme. Like that is not what we were here to do. There were a lot of ways to do that. And we could have retired if we had decided that was what we wanted. Um, you know, at blockchain.com, what we're trying to do is have a long term time horizon for achieving, um, I would say, social and economic um, outcomes. And uh, we think on at minimum a 10-year time horizon. But Mike, I don't see it as like, we spike a football at the end of some game and it's like, oh, <laughs> like everything we set out to do. Because that, that's just not how it works. Like basically your company gets bigger, you add more muscle to it, you develop a culture, you, um, you know, and that culture uh, inspires more people to come participate and, and support your work. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure what the, uh, I don't think there's an end game to it. Um, you know, it's just about improving it every single, uh, every little bit. And you just make small incremental improvements and you look about across those, you know, those improvements over a duration of time and you, you end up in a better place. And it's, uh, so, you know, when I think about what I would like to have out, you know, the outcomes be, it's like, you know, a billion, billion plus people in the world using crypto by 2030. Um, you know, we'll reassess that if we get there earlier, but that's the direction of travel. I want to build a company that, um, regardless of how long people spend time at the firm for, they look back and go, 
you know, I'm really proud of the work I did there. We made a difference. And of all the places I could have dedicated and spent my time, you know, that's some of the proudest stuff I did. And so um, when I talk about, you know, people fulfilling their potential, sometimes that's an entrepreneur. That can also be a colleague or a teammate that ships a cool project that improves a feature set that changes the engagement rate on, uh, you know, something we do. Um, so there are a lot of positive outcomes across that, that story arc and journey. Um, and ultimately, you know, it's already happened. We've had some people that, um, you know, graduate is what I say from the company, they go on and found their own thing and they build a company, um, themselves and they, you know, go through the crucible of learning how hard it is to, <laughs> to, to sometimes make, you know, decisions and, um, you know, deal with, uh, you know, um, management and leadership and then aligning against values and principles and shipping product and, and building stuff that people find useful. And so at the end of the day, like all that collection of things or, you know, how I think about what we're trying to do ultimately with the outcome of, you know, uh, helping bring crypto to the masses and uh, building an extraordinary company that, um, you know, generates huge amounts of value for everybody that came along the journey with us and, you know, is valuable to people that use it. When you, when you look at, I'm all on board with that, by the way. It's amazing. You guys are doing a great job. <laughs> High five. <laughs> uh, do you, when you look at uh, the, uh, I want to get your take on this. Like, th- put yourself, instead of being in blockchain.com for a second, think about this as more of a uh, an American perspective. So uh, obviously today, we're recording March 8th, there's incredible uh, tension now, political uh, agitation from the war between Russia and Ukraine. And arching that is this east versus west um tension that we're all aware of uh the u.s has issued sanctions which sanctions are blocking private companies and public companies from doing business with russia uh those sanctions impact uh all u.s companies and their ability to trade with russia and the swift network has gotten a lot of pressure from the european union uh, to, to shut down, to not make bank transfers in and out of Russia. And I think today, they, they as of today, they don't allow bank transfers in and out of Russia. Do you see uh, crypto companies, is the wise move for crypto founders, so say people are listening and they're running other companies that are you know significant in the crypto space, um, do you see their role as being, I guess, in some ways, it's the tra- what's the trap? The trap is it's easy to think that you're right. And so the, the persistent question, questioning uh, of our philosophy, is our philosophy right? Whether we should block transactions in Russia, like TikTok shut, shut out of Russia. I think today YouTube and Instagram are still operational in Russia. And if you shut down operations in that country, that means those citizens of that country can't communicate with each other. And there's all sorts of externalities from that. Crypto is is the same way. Like, it's not obvious to me whether banning it is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, do you have any philosophies, philosophies of operation that you'd like to share uh, to other people who are running crypto companies or how, just mental models about how to think of this, especially as things can progress in a negative direction, not saying they will, but if they do, it's helpful to have this mental model kind of fleshed out a little bit. I'm I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah. um, So, you know, as a, 
as an American director of a firm, obviously, we have obligations to comply with um, everything our uh, democratically elected officials um, determine uh, is necessary in order to, uh, you know, to sanction, you know, the Russian regime and their aggression toward Ukraine right now. So caveat, all that, you know, we obviously comply with sanctions. Um, you know, crypto is interesting because it's a it's a neutral uh, technological fabric for exchanging precious information over the internet. Um, centralized service providers uh, will definitely be required um, to enforce uh, sanctions against um, Russian entities. Uh, it's not clear um, from my last study of it that uh, individuals in Russia are actually um, included in those sanctions yet. Certain ones are, but I mean like Russian citizens. Um, ultimately, to me, uh, you know, defanging, um, you know, oligarchs and, uh, you know, the oligarchs and leaders of the world that are dangerous, um, you know, the easiest way to do that is to remove their ability to control money over their people. And so um, in the long term, I think, because the principles of crypto generally lead toward a freedom of ownership over your assets, um, most tyrannical dictatorial nations in the world will not want uh, to support or have crypto. And so if you look at the list of countries um, that have taken aggressive posture toward crypto, almost all of them are dictatorial or tyrannical. And so in the tension between East and West, um, in terms of what kind of world economy we and what kind of world values we want to, um, to lean into, uh, to me, um, it's pretty clear, like, we should lean into the internet, lean into freedom of speech, lead into freedom of ownership over assets, and merit based work, and, um, and, ex- and export those values and encourage them. And so over the long term, um, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see if the battle between grip control and censorship, um, especially from dictatorial, tyrannical, um, oppressive regimes, uh, can, you know, how that'll compete with open source free economies that allow for the innate, you know, the movement of goods, services and precious information over the internet. And um, I'm hopeful that we'll land on the right side of all of that. Um, but you know, there's a, there's an initial reaction sometimes to, to try and, um, you know, uh, overly um, control or assert dominance um, over things that are new. And, and crypto is tricky, because um, without, a, without exaggeration, it combines everything that people and especially policymakers don't understand about technology with everything that a lot of people really don't understand about money. And it's combined those things. And so it's like really intimidating and it's, you can easily see how uh, it would trip up policymakers or regulators. They would, you know, just try and uh, apply one concept uh, or something to it. Um, and it's just not that simple. Yeah. So um, in short, you know, because crypto is neutral, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's concerns, obviously, related to whether or not oligarchs could, um, you know, could bypass sanctions with crypto. Several members of the DOJ um, and other members of the US government have basically said this is not a concern of ours. And the reason for that's pretty simple, because the transactions are all online, and you can see everything that happens on the blockchain. Um, you know, the they feel like they have an effective, um, you know, net to uh, prevent um, wide scale uh, crypto. Um, I would say uh, money laundering, but it is a legitimate concern to study. But, um, you know, at the same time, you know, United Nations, uh, they offered Ukraine $20 million as part of a compensation package um, as a humanitarian effort. Within one week, um, the Ukrainian government raised over $50 million from just donations 
from crypto evangelists and community members globally in support of their cause. And so there's this interesting thing now, which is like this conflict um, between Russia and Ukraine is sort of like a conflict between um, the internet and, uh, you know, an an invasive force. And um, it's going to be pretty fascinating to see what happens over the next few weeks. But um, you know, ultimately, we we all hope for you know, and the secession to the violence and um, and uh, reduction in tensions because you can see how because we don't have fluid information and people form their own narratives based on biases, like it's easy to ratchet up, and it's pretty worrisome. So mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that we can uh, unwind all that. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Well, it'll unfold the way it unfolds. I think that's. Wise, wise perception. And also, Nick, for you personally, it's just, uh, you know, the gravity of what you're doing, um, I'm sure sometimes is, is heavy, but people who are translating difficult to understand technical and uh, uh, political landscapes in a way that most people can understand, it's just your role is very important, right? Because like, to go from a, a politician making a decision, they have to understand what's going on. And that means it has to be translated through the through the through the Twitter sphere, so uh, I think I, that's why I'm personally doing this show and a big believer in long form conversations because it it takes a long time to think about complex issues and articulate them in a way that people can receive and believe and be convinced of uh, with an open minded head and heart. So, congrats on all the progress you guys have made at Blockchain. Uh, I'm sure your your social Thank media you. handles are easy to find obviously your website is very easy to find um anything else you want to throw out there as far as uh like the personal social account yeah just i guess uh in conclusion i appreciate the, the conversation mike um yeah i think you know it's there's a often hear this like is it too late to get involved in crypto i you know i've seen that the price is very volatile um you know my advice is it is important to learn about these trends um, and what's changing um, in the world of money. And so, um, you know, you can sign up for a blockchain.com wallet. You can sign up for one of our uh, contemporary uh, competitors um, and recommend testing these things out, learn how to use them. Um, and at the end of the day, also, if anything, you know, you've heard about was interesting today, there are more open roles in our industry than at any time. Um, and so if you've been sitting on the sidelines, if you're someone that worked in traditional finance, you worked in payments, if you're thinking about uh, maybe starting your own thing, um, you know, there's tons of opportunities um, in green pastures uh, in the crypto economy. And so, um, you know, we're growing very quickly. And uh, if you visit blockchain.com forward slash careers, my little plug, uh, a lot of open roles as well um, to join our team. So I appreciate it again. And uh, looking forward yeah. to catching up maybe uh, in the future, we can revisit some of these, uh, yeah. <laughs> some of our, our views today. Let's do it, man. I enjoyed it. Keep crushing. And uh, congrats on everything. Later, Nick. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 